everybody, I'm Robert. This is Figure of Speech, a podcast dedicated to the impact of forensics on the lives of people who participated. Episode 8, Ira Heffler. Ira, welcome in. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> now, Ira, you and I host another podcast. We do. We host uh, Antiwave Podcast. That's right. I don't know if you knew that or not. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, so we've been doing that for years. We've been doing that yeah, podcast. Actually, it has been years, hasn't yes. it? Yeah. And, uh, and we, we're about to enter our fourth season. How about that? four years we've been doing that wow. podcast. Well, I, we've done three. We're moving on to our fourth year. Right. And uh, I thought it'd be great to bring you on for this podcast, which is relatively new com- in comparison. Uh because you and I have such a, a, a deep love and background in history of speech, of competitive speech. That's right. So I wanted to um, pick your brain a little bit yeah. and uh, ask you a little bit about your background with speech and, and, and just kind of walk me through everything. How, how did you begin? I mean, you, you taught at the high school for a long time. I Tell did. I do. I always wanted to be a teacher. And that was that was a goal when I was going to college and uh, different majors and when I was at Cal State Northridge. Then it was called San Fernando Valley State College uh-huh. and um, dating myself here, aren't I? And I got the... Um, you date yourself? I, I date myself. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That must uh, be a lonely <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, but I'm happier that way. Okay. Uh, so I uh, became a speech communication major. Okay. And I put the two together that, wow, that would be an interesting class to teach speech, public speaking, where it would be different every semester. It wouldn't be the same content semester after semester. It'd be different depending on the input of the student's speeches. I thought that would like change it up a bit. And yeah. Have more variety that way. And so did you, when you were in college, right. did you do any sort of speech and debate? I did not compete. Okay. I did not did compete they, in competition. Did you know about competitions going on at the time? I, I don't think, at that time, Cal State Northridge, for example, they didn't have a speech and debate team, or if they did, I wasn't even aware of it. Right. I think I would have been aware of it. There was no such program in the late 60s at that college. I, I mean, I think a lot of the, um, as I understand it, now I'm not a true historian of, of competitive speech and debate, but I think a lot of the explosion started to happen in the late sixties, early seventies. Right. And that's when a lot of the events started to change. That's when, um, college, uh, American forensics association was created and the national forensics association was created. And before that time there had been relatively little, uh, in the way of, of, uh, these competitions. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that. How about that? Yeah. But you started teaching, at the high school level. I did. And you started coaching it, right? I did right away. I started in 1971 at John Burroughs High School in Burbank. And I remember when I met the outgoing speech and debate coach and I was hired and she said, you know, you're going to be going to weekend tournaments. That's part of the job description. And I actually had for my first semester teaching, the students were teaching me the ropes. Oh, wow. The students were teaching me the ropes. There was one student in particular who was, uh, he became number one in the state with OO, original mm-hmm. oratory, and uh, Wally, Wally Ryer. And he sat down with me and he said, we're going to get you through this. This is how the game is played. I this love is what it. We do. We're going to get you through said, this. Yeah, we are. And I said, Wally, I've never done this. Before. He said, don't worry, you're going to be fine. And in fact, there was a um, an orientation at SC, USC, um, University of Southern California, and it was for newbie coaches. Wally went with me. Aww. Wally went with me. Isn't that cool? Now you say this, are you still in contact with Wally? Uh, uh, through Facebook. Through wow. Facebook. And I saw him at a reunion about four years ago. And this is 1971. 71. Well, he graduated in 73 from the high school. Wow. And we've kept in touch through Facebook and we write really sweet messages back and forth. But he took me by the hand and he, he guided me. The outgoing speech and debate coach, she also showed me all the files and the folders and she went over tournaments and so on and how it's done. But Wally, Wally guided me by the hand. Well, that's yeah. really sweet. It is. It is. So you started coaching. I did right away. And then do you feel like, I mean, I guess in the first year, and don't let me put words in your mouth, but I feel, that's my daughter, by the way, in the background. So she's she's maybe a little fussy in this episode. But Mm. do you feel like, were you effective as a coach in the in the beginning because you're still learning from everyone? The students knew it was my first year teaching and they also knew that was obviously my first year coaching. Mm -hmm. And I turned that into a positive. I, I made that work for me. And having them on board and not just Wally, but other students too. And it was no secret. They knew that I was a new hiree Mm -hmm. and going to speech and debate tournaments. And there was something about the novelty and the rush about it. I think they kind of liked that they were breaking me in. Mm. I made it a positive instead of a negative. All right. Yeah. Uh, So describe what your process was like. Um, You 
you went to competitions for the entire time you were a teacher there? At I John did Burroughs? for 22 years at the high school uh, before moving to the college level. And during those 22 years, uh, there was forensics as a class. That was always a big deal oh. going from school to school. And the students would get three credits. They get three units towards graduation. It counted. And, um, and as long as they went to tournaments and gave it their all, they would get that, that nice grade. So it allowed them... They were giving up a lot of their weekends going to the tournaments, but it right. was more than justified because they were getting class credit for it and they loved competing. And the events and all these new events. And I learned the jargon at the high school level with DI, Dramatic Interp, HI, Humorous Interp, Extemp, Expose, OO, uh, Impromptu, Duos. And uh, at that time, it was Duo Humorous Interp, Duo Dramatic Interp. Oh, wow. And Programmed Reading. Um, which is yeah, now probably is program oral, oral interp, yeah. right, 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 with three or more selections. So they had dramatic duos and, and humorous yes, duos. Yes, they did. They wow. broke it down that way. And there were other events too. Well, it's the same thing. Like the league tournaments, of course, were more strict with what events they could include, but the invitationals could be more loosey-goosey. Right. And they opened up storytelling. So they'd have different events like storytelling, which wasn't really a league event, but we'd go to the tournaments that had that. And that's a mainstay now. It is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a much about more that? common How about event that, that you, would, you would recognize. Yeah, but a lot of I, I guess I shouldn't say mainstay, but it's I mean even at the national level, it's offered as a a, a major middle school event and kind of a a pretty popular high school event as well. Right, right. So I I got on board with that. It did eat up a lot of my weekends, mm-hmm. a lot of my weekends. And that was obviously I loved being with these kids. I mean, we know this to be true that they're so they're great kids. They're so motivated. They're so on board. And even if they didn't break into finals and they didn't, just the fact being with them and spending a Saturday was really cool. They're, they were great students and they were for many, many years. They were my main, I got more joy out of that squad than I would in regular conventional teaching. Wow. That's nice to hear. Yeah. So you never competed. You you started out as a coach. Yeah. You, Coached Wally, I'm sure. Yeah. Are there other people along the way, like any other highlights in your high school tenure of, of, of students that really stuck out in your memory of, of being, uh, I don't know, like major moments, milestones? There were quite a few. And um, it's weird because I even went to a reunion just a few weeks ago for the class of 79 had their major reunion. And there was Sue Stolpe and she was vice president of speech. I went up to her and I said, I still remember your dramatic interp. And she was startled here. And I was starting reciting parts of it. It's just been in and my she's brain. Like, get away so from me, you <laughs> creep. You're a creep. You're away from me. And um, with, with Sue and there were other students. I Clint Howard was on our team. Ron Howard. Yeah, Ron Howard's brother. brother. And um, he, he competed too. And uh, throughout the years, there are some real special memories and certain things that happened when we did have the foreign exchange student mm. and um, and he competed and when he did break into an elimination round that's the stuff of, of memories that's really sweet yeah that's the stuff of memories that would make it a joy and I'd, I'd have a lot of parties and the Christmas parties in my apartment in North Hollywood with the whole team and it was just a blast now at a certain point you move from high school into college right and you start coaching college yes yeah. what was that process and I liked the college scene more i felt i've never been a strong disciplinarian i'm just not built that way and um it was an issue not on the speech and debate team at the high school but i was also teaching english and american literature and stuff and a lot of the kids just didn't want to be there and i was never a strong disciplinarian that was my weak link as far as being an effective teacher at the college i didn't have to worry about that they were there because they wanted they were more motivated yeah they bought the textbook they'd have to pay for they they were there because they wanted to be it's a whole how did, how did you just as a side note, I know this has nothing to do with speech, but how did you deal with unruly kids in the class? In the high school level. Yeah. And again, I would I would threaten them, it didn't work. I would have them leave. I was always writing out those forms, those notes we'd have to fill out, sending them down to the vice principal's office. And it just it was a part of me that I didn't I didn't like being a disciplinary. I'm not built that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a lot of qualities as far as being a teacher, but that was a weak area for me. And I'm not strict the way I should have been, the way I could have been, I think, but I'm just not built that way. How did you get into college? 
how, how did you move into that? Right. After the high school for 22 years and, and coaching forensics almost all of those years, I think the last two or three years I didn't coach. Instead, I was doing the academic decathlon. But I took a break from teaching, took off literally 10 years, did other stuff, including writing and so on, and a few other projects I wanted to get going. And I wanted to break into the high school, into the college scene, the two-year college, and I do not have a master's. I'm, oh. I'm without a master's degree. I have a bachelor's degree, lots and lots of postgraduate units, lots of postgraduate units, but I never got the master's. And also I have a, a secondary standard teaching credential lifetime, which they don't even offer anymore. So I had that. And because of knowing some people, I got into a Glendale College as an adjunct and uh, taught three or four classes in, in public speaking. And then after the third or fourth year, the president of the college said, he was going to retire soon. He wants a legacy. That was Dr. John Davitt. And he said he'd love to have a speech and debate team. Here we go again. Here we go again. Now, I was under the impression that you quit teaching at the high school to move into college, but you had quit for a whole period. decade, 10 oh, years. Wow. 10 years in between. Right. There were other projects I wanted to pursue, something called Life Story Video. We make video biographies right. of family members and things like that. And I also wrote two or three screenplays during that period, and we optioned them. And I just took off some time, too. Yeah, I just kind of took it easy for a while. Um, got an inheritance, didn't have to work for a number of years, and did other stuff. But I actually missed the teaching more than I thought I would. I didn't want to go back to the high school scene. I didn't want that. And uh, then there was something going on at the college and um, it was at, it was at someone's funeral where there was a Dr. Sid Colpass that might be a familiar name. Yeah. And he, uh, he said he could get me an interview with the right people and he did. So um, now you, you came over to Glendale community college with the, I guess I don't say with, but through Gene Perry right. as well. And, right. and it's, I think it's almost impossible to divorce <laughs> your time at Glendale from Gene Perry. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you meet Jean? I knew her back at the high school scene. She was coaching at a private girls school, the Marlboro school. Right. And she was the head coach there. And I, again, it was at John Burroughs in Burbank. And I remember her from league meetings and we even had a mixer uh, at her house. At her house? Yes, at her house. Oh, this wow. is like in the this is like in the late seventies. So I, I remembered Jean and she remembered me. Mm. And years and years later when I went down to Glenelg College to have my first meeting with Jean, who is now division chair of language arts division, which was an umbrella, speech and debate was part of that, and we instantly remembered each other. Well that's gotta be good to have a friend on the inside. Yes. Yeah. You would, you would think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you start teaching at Glendale. I did. And, and did when did you start getting involved in the... I know you said when John Davitt... Had, right. Dr. John Davitt wanted to retire and leave a legacy. And you started instantly in coaching at that point? No, it was, it was a couple years adjunct. So I was part-time just teaching. She, she had me teaching night classes and uh, Jean just, had Jean, Jean, okay. just speech 101 classes. And that was kind of it for a while. They even put me in the English department and I was teaching honors English one semester. Oh, wow. And I was like being bounced back and forth, but they knew I really belonged in speech. And then after two or three semesters, she said, I got a call from John Davitt. He wants to have a speech and debate team. You're the one to do this. Are you interested? We could do it together. And you said, I was adjunct. Hell no, I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was adjunct. Uh -huh. And you know how to play the game when you're adjunct. And you got to do that. Because I was kind of, I'm tempted to say I was burnt out after coaching forensics for 22 years at the high school scene. Uh -huh. And be more of that at the college. But at the same, I was really torn because, okay, maybe I should be open to this. So I'll lose my weekends again. Uh, so much for my single life and dating. But instead, I was open to going to these tournaments. And we did it. And we, we started a program. And we should point out at this point, that's yes. when I came into yes. your life. That's how I met you. Uh, yeah, we, we met during this time period. And I was there from the beginning when she was trying yes. to create that team. Yes. That just so happened to coincide with when I was taking her speech class. That's right. So she was my speech 101 instructor. She was your speech 101 instructor. Yeah. The idea of forensics, and there you were. And uh, uh, what, I wanna, what I'm interested in is your 
time coaching college? What, what, what was that like? And I'm not trying to get you to tell stories about me, but what, what were your thoughts and your experiences about some of the students at Glendale and, and how they were competing? How was that different from the high school level? Right. And, you know, I'm not sure if it was all that different. Really? I'm not sure if it was all. I mean, the events were very similar. They had okay. different names, you know. And um, instead of um, expose, it was it was speech to inform at the college level. Right. Different names, but really similar with events like extemp and impromptu and so on. Similar, yet slightly different in all the events. Um, again, program reading at the college is called POI, Program Oral yeah. Interp, and so on. Um, but these students were older. Uh, more mature and um, equally enthusiastic to the high school scene because mm. at the high school they were highly highly motivated and and here too it was it was really a blast being with these people yeah. I remember as a as a student of yours really feeling like you were such a great uh, I mean we referred to you a lot as the cheerleader and it was someone yeah. who really um, was supportive of whatever it was that we were doing. And I always felt very comfortable with you right from the very beginning in terms of performing and never feeling like what I was doing was dumb or lame or, or, or anything that, that had a, a bad connotation to it. And I always, I always really appreciated that about you. Um, the, the flip side was I remember never being taught how to do impromptu and being sent in I remember watching <laughs> Ronnie being sent into uh, uh, it was a felt like a better of mine being sent into an extemp round with like three Time magazines and like a couple Newsweeks. Like here you go, this ought to do you just fine. <laughs> and I, watching them go into an extemp round, going, "We are grossly unprepared for this." But what are, what are you saying, Robert? <laughs> I'm saying that some events were not as well coached as others. Agreed, but you ne- that never stopped you from encouraging people to try. Right. Right. And in, for me, I know from for me, having been part of a big team, a small team, and mediums, I've been part of all sorts of teams with all sorts of dynamics. What I needed was someone, I needed, I needed two people in my life like you and Gene. And that was exactly what I needed. It was the support network. That One I, to teach you structure and the other to give you a push. That's kind of it. And also to clear the path for me um like through the administration and just like let's make this possible right so that he can get it done yeah that's exactly what i agree mean. i agree and i did see myself largely as a cheerleader in fact remember what i had in my office the pom-poms yeah 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 and i would be very enthusiastic and sending newbies to the first tournament right i was good at that you were and i think that was really instrumental in a lot of people's lives right. i mean i talked to some people that had you for the 101 class, um, you know, your student Brenna, who, I mean, is still kind of reaping a lot of the benefits that she got from your 101 class and, and going to, to competitions. And she's someone who, on a regular basis, uh, uses some of the same techniques that you help right. em- employ. Right, right. Well, a lot of that structure then, years later, came from you when you came back after you did extremely well at the competitive circuit and then came back to teach at Glendale college. And we even did some team teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, we did. And I love that. And you learned from me and I also learned from, from you. Yeah. What were the challenges of coaching at the college level? There were, as far as among the students or the, okay, I think as far as, I want other coaches. I mean, there were problems with other coaches and other teams and, what do you think? You know, it's interesting because I have such better memories of the high school scene among the other coaches in the tab room where there's more laughter and more warmth. Hmm. And here at the collegiate level, I wasn't sensing that. Maybe it was just the, what was unique to that particular league where they were a lot more rigid and you could only certain people could go into the tab room. It was off limits to most coaches. And I walked in there more than once with a, and they would like look at me like, well, why are you in here? Uh, it didn't feel comfortable with those particular people in that particular league hmm. yeah you, you and i was like getting, an outsider i did and i wasn't getting any reinforcement i wasn't getting any tips i wasn't getting any positive vibes huh. that's really true to a large large extent where at the high school level with that league there was such warmth and we're all in this together Camaraderie. and want to help each other right right <clears throat> didn't feel that at all in the league we were in at the uh, at the college 
Are there any college students that really stand out as like having game changing, life changing moments? I'm sure there are, and other college students with life changing with um. Well, let's see, who's what about like mind? students like Nisha, Nisha yeah. Star? Yeah. So that would that would. That would I'm what, so glad tell you that, that story. Nisha Star, <laughs> you you coined her last name, didn't mm. you? That was you, Moonchung, wasn't that it? Yeah, I think Nisha so. Nisha Moonchung, and she was our uh, our international student. They didn't use the term foreign exchange; she was international student from South Korea, and she was in she was in was it one of Jean's classes? No, I remember what it was. She was in a different class by another teacher, and they said go talk to Ira and Jean, get on the program. This is a a young lady who spoke broken English. But, and you noticed this, that she was competitive as yeah. the tournaments went on, that she was set on on winning. And she turned out to when be... When she first started out, she was still using the translator. Yes. She couldn't have a yes. conversation with yes. you. But and, she was she was not, not hard-headed in a bad way, but hard-headed in that, I'm going to make this work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she came to us, she came to a few meetings and she said she doesn't think she wants to code. And she, she got the humor of it. She said, I'm not from this country. I don't speak English. Why are you asking me to go to a tournament? And I can't speak. And it, but she was being playful with that, where she got it on that big picture and could playfully poke fun at herself and we were asking her to do. We came up with an interesting topic for her speech to inform on the, what was it, the economy? She... When, she Go pitched ahead. something. She said, I want to do something on clothes, on fashion. Yes. And I remember saying back to her, I'm like, it's not enough. That's not enough of a competitive topic. Like, we got to go deeper and find something. Like, what's the relationship between clothes and, and I think I just said uh, the economy or something. I think I remember pitching something kind of like right. that to her. And then she went off and found, well, there actually is a relationship. There is a correlation with those variables that when the Dow goes up, women's dresses go up. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. When the Dow goes down, that you do get more playful, um, more more sexual, more more creative with how you dress when the economy is doing well. She found that to be true in studies. Um, she even went down to CalFam. The, that was the what was that called? The Fashion um, Institute of Fashion Fidim. Design and Merchant yeah. Fidim F I D M. And um, I remember she went by herself to get visual aids, yeah. you know, of, 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 of the first lady in the parade and how she was dressed and things like that. And I was unable to take her there and she went by herself in the rain, taking the bus to go to FITM and they were very cooperative. They gave her information, they gave her visual aids and she took the bus back home to Glendale and she put together this speech. And at first she started competing in the novice round. And I'll always remember this where she won, but she was angry with that win because she said, everyone I went against read their speeches word for word. And she got a certificate and she threw it down because she was angry. She said, this doesn't mean anything. Look at the intelligence that came with that yeah. statement. And and then as it went on, she started doing better and better. And I remember you came up to me, Robert, and said, she's competing with the big people now. And yeah. she's winning. And she's winning. Well, and not only did she qualify for nationals, right. at nationals. That's right. She was, I think, the next one out from quarterfinals. She just just missed that quarterfinal break. However, like we like to point out, her points added to our win. And they made the difference between our our placement. We would have taken second place in our division without her. How about that? Yeah. How about that? So what a success story. And I'll always remember when she did have to go back to South Korea um, that we formed a uh, we formed a caravan of cars getting up at 7 in the morning and we all drove her to, to LAX. She wasn't able to go on the plane for a specific reason that her passport was outdated. <laughs> so that I'll always remember that. And she was so embarrassed. We took her to the consulate and she um, had to get an emergency passport. And then later on, we took her back. And then we night. kicked her out of the country. And we kicked her out of the damn country. And that's when you showed up at the airport at the last minute. At the last minute, and you went running up to each other. And she told me afterwards, she felt like that was a scene in a movie. Aww. That's what she told me. That's what she, she was very special. Yeah, yeah she was. Yeah. Well, that's nice. That's that's the stuff. That's why we teach. Well, that's one of the reasons why we teach. Well said. Well said. We also teach for a paycheck. Yeah, well, I keep uh, forgetting about that. The big paycheck <laughs> that we get. Yes. I there's a moment that I'd like to to relive with you of judging. What was it like judging? I think I at the college you, level. I think I know where you're going. I'm go. trying to pull I a story out of you. I know, do you remember yeah, this? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> what was it okay well this do you remember the event 
I want to say Wonder it was Woman. There's a Wonder Woman prose? speech. It's an interpretive event. Yeah. It was an interpretive event. It might have been D.I. Right, right. And but it was definitely prose or D.I. Prose or D.I. And, um, and there were multiple judges, I think three. No. no was oh, I the only maybe, one? Maybe, maybe there were. Three. Maybe there were. Might have been a final round. And we rank the um, five, six, You know what it was, people. Ira? What was it? This was... This was the AFA qualifier. And because of that, there were two judges in the round for the prelims. There had to be two judges. That's what it was. It was not a final round, but it was a prelim with two judges. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what it was. It's pretty damn significant, isn't it? Yeah. So the two judges, and you were just there to observe. You were yeah. just sitting right next to me, to my right. I already right. qualified and just kind of came right. down You were just hang hanging out. out with us and with the squad. And um, and we heard all the pieces. And then we rank. We, we rank the uh the performances first second third and everyone else ties for fourth or fifth right that's a, a variable and uh you and i have always been on the same page as far as our ranking of people we tend to see things the same way often we would disagree on maybe the third and fourth position right but for the most part the five four three two one first we tend to agree on those things we always have well this one event robert you were sitting next to me and i finished my i said how'd you vote how'd you vote and I showed you. I said, well, she's obviously getting the first and this one, fifth. And you looked at me. You said, really? <laughs> I went, yeah, yeah. It seems pretty clear to me. Doesn't seem clear to you? And you went, are you kidding me? This should all be flipped. I think the person who gave fifth deserves first place. And then what you did so effectively, so effectively, you paused. You said, look, man, do whatever you want. You're the judge, not me. <laughs> and when you said that, it just shot. And what the fuck? And of course, then I looked at you, and then we cracked up, realizing you were just fucking with me. Yeah, because it was so clearly the, it was the first so place clear. was so clearly right, above right, everybody. Right. And else. if we ever disagreed, it was like the third and fourth positions might be flipped. That right. was the only thing. But we'd always see it the same way, especially in the outs, the numbers one and two and four and five. We'd always agree on that. I just yeah. remember that panic in your face of like, yeah. "Am I about to turn yeah. in a ballot that's yeah. going to ruin somebody?" Yeah. yeah. That. Do you remember what you did to me with the electoral college? <laughs> Did you? I'm going to remind you about this. That's that's the most. I love this. I have always been kind of obsessed with the electoral college, and I've used that as my go-to example when I would talk about persuasion. Okay. And Roberts heard me talk about this a lot, whether it's at a debate class or a regular one-on-one class, talking about mounting your arguments, the electoral college. And I'd use that as my example. But Robert heard me use it so many times, would kind of playfully roll his eyes. There he goes again, talking about the electoral college. This was a this was a high level. Invitational tournament or was yeah, it? Yeah, it was an invitation. What, what was it? Dave, Dave and I, Dave <laughs> Hale, who was guest number one on this podcast, it was one of the few times that Dave and I debated together. And we went to a tournament. We just got our butts kicked. And uh, when we were, we, we did not advance to finals. And when we walked out of there, we were like, well, all right, we gave it the old college try. And when we, we would have this tradition after every tournament, we would call you and Gene yes. and let you guys know how yeah. it went. And when we called you, do you remember what we said? I sure do. What happened? I sure do. Panic was in your voice saying, and Ira, Ira, you're not going to believe this. We're going into a debate round. I yeah. think it was parliamentary debate. Yeah. And you're not going to believe this. Topics of the Electoral College. This, we need your help. And you're allowed to get input from an outside source. And so I was like so eager. I remember I was standing in my living room. My eyes went wide. And I said, Listen to everything I'm about to tell you and jot down these arguments. And then, you know what you did, you bastard? <laughs> you pretended that we had a bad phone connection. Yeah. What? What? Can't say it again. Robert, I'll tell you this again. It gives the advantage to the smaller states. What? What? Say it again. We can't hear you. Listen to what I'm saying, Rob. And I was so frustrated with you because this is like the moment. This is the aha where the cards, the clouds <laughs> part, and I'm able to pass this wisdom to my debate students. And you were just faking it that a you made up the whole thing that wasn't even a topic in debate, and that it was a bad connection, knowing that would drive me crazy. I think we, I we kept faking the connection over and over, and finally yeah. we hung up. And we called back, back, and you were super frantic, going, "Are you there? Are you there? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now?" And now hear- our whole demeanor had changed. We were like, "Yeah, why? What's up? <laughs> What's going on?" Oh, oh, that yeah, we were just kidding. That's great. I just, I love, I love the moments <coughs> where we get you a little panic. I know, I do too. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good thing I didn't have a fucking heart attack. Those are the, I know. the little joys in life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
You know, I I want to say there's 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 really nothing quite like it with competitive speech and debate and forensics and God, this is going to sound so corny, but the stuff of memories. Mm-hmm. And when you think back on whether it's your high school years, your collegiate years, and what really stands out in your mind, I get this from all my former students. And, you know, they, I bump into them sometimes or even on Facebook and they say, I got to tell you, it was that speech and debate squad and going to those tournaments and all the craziness. And they say, even though I never won, just being on the team really felt good being with all you guys. And, and we'd go out for dinners afterwards sure. and go over the ballots. We should explain to our listeners that they give ballots at the end with the comments, the reason for the ranking. Um, and then we'd go out to a dinner and let the students read the comments and learn from it and learn from it. And there's a lot to be said for the, the camaraderie, the camaraderie as well as critical thinking and all the, all the good things that come from a healthy speech and debate school. I remember saying this many times at Glendale that our team had heart and we were not always the best. In fact, we frequently weren't the best. We were frequently the worst, but we always had heart and we had good kids that were often misfits right 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 i think other other teams had more normal kids yes and we had the island of misfit toys yes we did yes but we did. they were good people and they needed that and they needed a home they needed a family structure they needed to belong they needed to belong yeah that's it they needed to belong to i something. remember the, i remember having a few challenges even even as a student there i remember one time we had a student you called them butterflies, people who yeah. came in and kind of were with us and then they would leave and then maybe come back. And there was somebody who kind of dabbled with us and he was a, um, he was a, he was a skinhead. He was a neo-Nazi. Yes. And he would send emails with uh, Hitler quotations at the bottom. And we had a number of students. There was uh, one girl in particular that, uh, on the team. She was a black girl. And I just anticipated a lot of problems there. And um, and I remember having a conversation with the girl uh, about him and saying, listen, you know, here's the issue. I just want you to be aware that this is happening. And she was like, well, can't you kick him off the team? Uh, you know, your team president. And I was like, for what? I mean, he has his yeah. right to believe yeah. in what he wants to believe. He's not done anything. You know, you, you are allowed to send an email with an Adolf Hitler quotation at the bottom. It's distasteful. I mean, it's it's very tasteless, but you can do that. And I can't kick you off the team because I don't like the person that you're quoting. You know, it's not right for me to do. This whole activity is based on free speech. And that was really hard for me to kind of, how do I deal with that? And I remember kind of talking to you about it and you guiding me through that process. And I remember having a few conversations with right, you about right. How do we deal with some of these these issues that are rising up? Now, he and I, of course, became best friends. Oh, yeah. Because we share that commonality of anti-Semitism. Right. So, right. yeah, yeah. Clearly. <laughs> do, um, and I, I remember, too, us just having some people that just didn't quite, didn't quite get it. Carlos, our blind student, was fantastic. He was smart yeah. and, and yes. so funny and just some, all sorts of different backgrounds and unique personalities of, of people um, that some were a little bit sharper than others. Some had disabilities, both physical and mental, and it was still a cohesive family. Carlos, that was incredible what we did. He was yeah. blind and competed. Do you remember what we did at our invitational? What we did when we would have oh, a dramatic he... awards ceremony with a shootout? <laughs> That's right, yes. Yeah. So I forgot to tell us about that, yeah. Yeah, so we'd always have an elaborate, over-the-top... We were kind of known for that, weren't we? With our awards ceremony, Robert and I would always try to outdo the previous year. And this one year we did have... I was what? Was I the town drunk? Yeah. And you were the sheriff, and we were like having gunplay with cap guns going back and forth. And then Carlos, who's blind with the dark glasses and with a cane, he, and he... We, we got him to go up on stage. You called him. Do you remember you named him? Eagle Eye. Eagle Eye. You have the balls. You, that's so fucked up to call him Eagle Eye. Yeah. And then what happens is we both shoot him and he falls down. Isn't that? No way. I think wait, he shot it was us. Flipped. He shot us. He shot us. It was so, it was just so crazy. And I've continued to email. We, we would text on Facebook late at night while he's still awake and he keeps on telling me about what a joy it was. Mm. Yeah. And um, he mentions you a lot and what we did for him. Just treating him like a regular student 
you know, mm. and and making fun of this incredible disability. But we didn't we didn't buy into it. We circumvented it, and we even went on a different level with him, calling him eagle eye. I mean, well, fuck us for doing that. No, I, I disagree because I think that's what you, that's what we should, we treated him like a human being. That's what I'm trying to say. We didn't treat him like a dis- disabled right, person. Right, right, We treated him like you would yeah. a friend because that's what he was. He he became your friend and you're going, well, uh, what are we going to sit here and ignore the fact that you're blind? You're blind. Yeah. You are blind and no one else is blind. You're, you are the oddball in that way. So let's make fun of it. It's yeah. something that everybody else would do. Everybody has their their problems. He knew it. And if, and I think he appreciated that we didn't let him off the social hook right. just because right. you're blind. Right. No, you still have to be a decent person. You got to you got to put into a friendship the same way you would anywhere anywhere else. And I think that team really brought that out in a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think speech brings that out in a lot of Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'll never forget when I was competing, there was a guy uh, from another team. And I, I don't know what team he was from, but he was a fantastic speaker. But he had a deformity on both hands where he only had two fingers. He had a thumb and he had like what seemed to be kind of a pinky. And it was kind of growing out of the, the almost right above his elbow, where his elbow would have been. So they were very oddly placed. And so he essentially only had four fingers, two on each hand. And Watching him hold the interp books and watching him, uh, you know, flip the visual aids for his his uh, you know persuasive speech or speech to entertain or something like that. He would flip these visual aids, and you're going, "Oh my gosh, he's going to drop it." He never dropped it. It was flawless. Wow. Yeah. And this whole activity really gives, I think, a platform to people who have uh, disabilities or, you know, like I was saying, people who are misfits in other aspects, whether that be socially or physically or or mentally or any other way. It gives them this opportunity, this equal playing field for them to to speak their mind and say what they want to say. Right, right. And Glendale was pretty into that. I think. I, I think some teams were very. They wanted a clean cut look, and everybody had to be well groomed. Not and we us. Were definitely not that. Not us. Not us. Yeah. We had success. You know, how do you define success? How do you measure it in so many different ways? There's one student. You left the squad for two years to get your degree at Cal State right. and get a master's degree so we can get you to come back to Glendale and teach. And um, while you were away, there was one um, tournament at Cal State Northridge. I don't remember her name. She was fair-haired with redhead with freckles, and she did this poetry reading, which was okay. She came in. She she came in third, and I have a picture of her holding holding her. They were it was it was a, a trophy. With tears going down her oh. cheeks, and that's that's the stuff. Yeah, that's when that's why we're here for moments like moments like that. I have this feeling: it's the first time she ever won anything ever, and just that picture of her beaming with a third place. Thought I fucking love my job. Isn't that like I, I don't know? I think in this activity, it becomes if you do it for a while, you do start to win, and then people start to become complacent with expecting to win first place and no longer being elated by a a third place at a local tournament yeah. and, and oftentimes it's even in the novice division i'm not saying that was but oftentimes it's even just a, a novice win that people who are more experienced with speech almost kind of look down on but it's it it really does shape the lives of a lot of these people that it's exactly what you said it's the first time they've ever really had a chance to win right and it might be the one and only time yeah yeah and yeah. And maybe not even winning is the right word there because it's really just like getting respect for what That's you it. had to say. That's it. That's it. People appreciating it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So I retired. Do you miss it? I, I was waiting for that. I miss... I'm Coaching forensics is a young person's game. Yeah. It is. It's often the people who got their masters in their late 20s, no more than early 30s. It's, and I always, especially at the college, I was feeling a little bit self-conscious that I'm like at least twice as old, if not three times as old mm. as these coaches. And I was aware of that, but I was able to spin that and make that work. The fact I'm older and the squad kind of like that, you know, yeah. that I was their coach and I was happy to be older than the others. Um, I, miss, I miss a lot of the student interaction and um, not so much regular classroom teaching, but being with 
the students on the weekend and spending a day and hearing their stories and how well they did and if they broke or not, going to the award ceremony, then the dinners afterwards. I, I miss that dynamic. Mm. Yeah, I do. But then there was something interesting that happened when the, um, there was the last tournament, it was after I retired, and I, you were there and I, I went there too and I had this feeling that um, I don't belong there anymore. I was doing that to myself uh. that I just felt, okay, we did it. And I don't have to keep on going to these events because they were, they were doing with um, with you, with you as the coach. So I was glad I was there, but I figured this is putting closure on the you career pull back for me. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we uh, our team won uh, NFA nationals, I mean we we had won AFA, uh, you know, a community college division. We won that several times, but that almost felt like a a cheap win because we knew there weren't very many teams that were competing in that division right mm-hmm. there were only sometimes there'd only be like five teams and so if we had halfway decent tournament then we'd be winning that division but at nfa we were part of a, a bigger division and we were in with the other four-year colleges yes and we won which division presidential it, presidential three division. i think yeah. yes yes and we won and uh and I know you're going to hate this, and you hate you roll your eyes when I do this. But in because of you, how many events did you take, Robert? How many did you go to that tournament? With? Uh, a lot, six, six, seven. Oh, more help than me that. out, more than that. Yeah. And you're a national champion, and uh, broke into either quarterfinals or finals. And what was it with your speech to uh, inform where you came in? Uh, I, I won with speech for, inform. I took first third place. with CI. Right, yeah. right, right. So. Um, uh, I think in, I quartered in poetry. Large or part because of, of you. Even though it was a team effort, we enjoy the fact that Nisha added points, you know, and, yeah. and helped. But um, you were certainly the uh, the spearhead of that incredible success at that tournament. What a day that that award ceremony. I've got that photograph, you know, where you're all holding hands. Yeah. Walking up there in front, like almost like single file with hands clapped as you're walking. It's you're a really up. iconic it's image. It's an incredible For image. our team, in that it's. It's about six or seven of us that are all walking up to receive the award, and we're all holding hands. That's yeah. exactly what you said. And that it, was an amazing... And you, it's blurred just enough so that you could see that there's motion, there's action, yes. and it actually enhances yes. the film. Yes. It's shot really well. It's I've a, had that framed in my office. It's a beautiful yeah, picture. It's a beautiful picture. It says it. Yeah. It says it. Yeah. Really special times. Hmm. And, and yeah. when I left the high school... They disbanded the speech and debate program, and when I left Glendale College, it stopped. Yeah, it stopped. Nobody else was willing to pick it up. How about that? Well, that's in part due to the, me leaving as well. Like when I left, yeah. Uh, when I, I I left Glendale, and they, as I understood it, were offering the job to a couple other people, and then it just kind of fell apart. Right, right. No, it was, was so much work, and they were they were screwing me over with not not paying me back. For Some of your judges weren't paid. Yeah, isn't that true? We had, I think, David Hale. No, it was, it was another. Was no, it? it wasn't David. It was it was okay. somebody else. But we had promised to pay a couple judges. We had hired judges, right? And then they said you didn't have authority to hire this person, so we're not going to pay them for all of it. We're going to pay them for part of it. And I was like, that's, t- that's so messed up. Like you can't do that to people. Like they came in out of good faith. And you're not letting, you're not giving us pre-approval. Right. Like we don't know how many judges we'll need until, you know, three days before the tournament because everybody's making decisions last minute. And then you need like a week or two before the tournament to get approval. That is messed up. Yeah. And you need receipts. Yeah, I know. We don't have receipts until after the tournament. Right, right. So they made up. it so difficult. At the high school, the administration was fully on board with the speech and debate squad with yeah. the program. At the college, we didn't feel that. We should say that Jean... Perry, when she, when John Davitt, the president, retired, it all changed, right. and then there was a new division chair. It wasn't Gene anymore, and they didn't appreciate the program at all. And I think they felt it was too expensive, and it was affecting too few students. Which is sad because it the students, even if it was too few students, it was life changing for them. Absolutely, it was not just a degree mill of like let's get you. Uh, you know, a degree, you move you on to a four year and just get on with the rest of your life. It was truly, let's create something that's going to really, really change you. And we did. 
And I was so proud of all those things, including the intramural tournaments that we had at the college sure. uh, where it was allowing the one, students in the other 101 classes to compete. A very simple watered-down tournament. What was it, either two or three preliminary events? Uh, yeah. cater- uh, rounds, that's it. No limbs, I think. Right. And, um, and look how we got people involved with that. We had certificates for those that came in first, second, and third. Something I'm really proud of, too, is that the outreach program where I was teaching a Speech 101 class, college level, at the high school, a feeder school. And that actually helped us get some enrollment to our school. And one of my students who was at the high school won the intramural in her event. That was really cool. And things like that, all that stopped when Jean left and when I left. Hmm. There's no more program. It feels um, sickening. It's, well, on the flip I side, mean, started you, a legacy and it, you did influence a lot of people in a positive absolutely, way. Absolutely. Absolutely. We could end it that way. We could. Instead <laughs> of sickening, you don't want to end it on the word sickening. <laughs> well, here's know. what I do want to go to. Yeah. The next part of this uh, podcast is uh, what I call the final round. Final round. The final round. Now, these are a series of survey questions in much the same way as, uh, you know, inside the actor studio, they have a sur- series of survey questions. You're going to ask same me way what love means to me. How do I what define love? What does love mean to you? No. <laughs> Question number one. Now, yeah. This all has to do with your uh, time in, in speech and debate. Question number one. Were you superstitious? No. Not at all? Well, I'm obsessive compulsive, and there are certain things that I... Oh, now, wait a minute. We're going to get into some weird shit here. But I remember having weird thoughts that if I don't turn that light switch on and off two times, my mom will die of a heart attack. <laughs> Now, <laughs> this is getting into the deeper psyche. <laughs> yes, of Ira I don't Hepler. think you want to go there, but this just weird shit that I have. I, I do have that in me to an extent, to a small extent. <laughs> so did it ever come out as debate coach? <laughs> no, I wasn't superstitious as, as far as at the college, the high school college, as far as coaching. No, no. Okay. As, Question. Long, as, as long as I turn the light switch on and off. Again. <laughs> Question number two. Who was the competitor you most admired? You. No, you don't. No, have to say I that. don't. I don't know. I'd be lying if I didn't. I knowing you, it could be somebody from another team. Yeah, fuck that. Knowing you <laughs> and the friendship that's developed, and look what look at us now, and look what we're doing. And truly, in all my years of coaching, um, you're the one who, who stands out. And uh, I officiated at your your first wedding. My first wedding. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Was that inappropriate? What no. I said? No, but yeah, and we have an incredible friendship, and. Um, you're 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 the joy of the whole thing that I've done. Oh well, thanks, buddy. That's well, really nice. I don't know if you're first. Maybe you're like fifth or sixth. I'd right say that. Okay, yeah. I'd say switch. You know, sixth and fifth. We gotta oh, that's right. Fourth. There you go. Yeah, flip the order. <laughs> yeah. Uh, question number three. What's the most? Hey, by the way, I want to say one more thing. Yeah. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. As far I was, <laughs> I was your coach on paper, and that's all. Only <laughs> on paper. I didn't, people would come up to me, you're Robert Cannon's coach. And because you have been a darling in forensics in the circuit. And I found myself saying more than once, I don't coach him. I unleash him. I just take off the leash and let you do your thing. That makes me sound like a wild beast, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I said this earlier in the podcast. I really think I needed someone who in a lot of ways could do that, who could, make it possible you and gene both really help make it so that i could go do a lot of those things and and you guys spent i i think a disproportionately large amount of money of the team's money on me yes and that may not have always been fair to some of the other students but you well, made fuck that you brought home trophies it looked good well, we, we plopped it on Dr. Davids. But desk. what I tried to do in, in in fairness was I tried to coach some of those other students. Yes, and, and you I, did. And I really I understood what you were doing right. for me and I felt like it's only fair if I give some of that back in sweat equity. And you did. Yeah. And so, and to be fair, I put a lot of my own money into the whole thing too, but you did, didn't you? Yeah. Uh question number 3. Yeah. What's the most memorable speech you've seen? Another student who I had at the high school who achieved some notoriety is um, Lisa Bloom, Gloria Allred's daughter. Huh. How about that? You know Gloria Allred. Yeah. She's a traveler. And so I've had dinner at their house many times when Lisa was on our squad. And this is going back now to the 70s where the topic was not taboo, but it was more edgy than it would be today. And she did give a speech on gay rights. And hmm. especially then, it was, a, it was a ballsy speech. And she did it with such 
passion. So she stands out with that particular speech as, as quite a moment in my career. That's interesting. Yeah. And what year was that, you think? I'm going to say 77. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Question number four. How do you explain forensics to someone who's unfamiliar with it? Right. Right. And well, the first thing I usually say was the, obviously the word forensics itself is so misleading and because of media and people associate it with, with murder and guns and, and blood and so on and about uh, forensics medicine being finding the truth. Isn't that correct? Seeking the truth? Right. That well, where so, that comes so from? it's and like using debate, evidence to prove to something. Prove, right? And that's what debate is and persuasion. And I suppose all events can really be funneled, I think, into that umbrella thought. Right. That you're, even an interpretation sure. could be seeking the truth. Could yeah. be seeking the truth. But I... Um, after we get past that word, how do I describe what we do? Yeah. That there are many events, as if I was talking to a student now, and we can talk about an event that is most suited for you. I'm making this on a personal response. So sure. As if I had a hypothetical student here. And I'd go over the different events, and I'd explain that there's a novice division, and you'd only be competing against newbies until you feel comfortable to go into the next level, the next level, and so on. But I would emphasize the social aspect hmm. and about how you're... You're part of this, this, this club, and I don't mean the word club literally, like in this club. But I'm more in a metaphoric club, and you guys all speak the same lingo. You have the same language, you have the same jargon, and you understand each other. Look how you're able to say extemp. Oh, I did expose. How did your di go? What about? And you've got the, your own language to communicate with each other and the memories. It's really special stuff, and the stuff of which memories are made. I'm not really addressing your question, though. No, I'm, I think I'm that off is. on a tangent. But I would emphasize those, which is the cheerleader in me again, mm. isn't it? That's the cheerleader again, where I would talk about that. And then if I had them hooked, and I often did, not always, and I would talk to them about the events, you know, about informative. Do you want a speech to persuade? We go over topics and so on. And, um, and maybe send them to a tournament to observe. Nah, I don't want them to observe. I take that back. Throw them into their first. I, I don't ever remember you telling people to observe. No, no. I remember that, that idea being floated a few times. Right. And you always nah, going, nah, no, I don't, I don't like that. But there is one thing that they, I hope they still do it. I hope they still do it where they have a showcase. Remember that? Yeah. At the beginning of every school year. They do. I where the top people in different events would perform and there'd be a Q&A afterwards. Right. That's where there's real learning going on to get an idea of what this whole game is about. Right. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't say game. This activity is about. My daughter's making some noise, so your, your theoretical student might be uh, might be a real. Yeah, might, your hypothetical student is no longer hypothetical. Oh, I like that. Well, she has to wait a few more years. Yeah, I guess. She's a little bit too young. Now, this next one may not apply to you at first since you didn't compete, but because uh, it's going to be about your speeches. But I wonder, I mean, certainly you've given speeches before. Right, right. So question number five, what was your most unusual inspiration for a speech? And it could have been an idea that you floated to somebody. Doesn't have to have been your speech that you gave. Unusual. I had a pet idea that nobody bought. Nobody. I tried so hard. They'd come into my office. I, I love Listen, these. I got this really great idea. They would look at me like I'm nuts. And I would talk about funerals. Okay. And I would talk about uh, eulogies as as an event. And to, I actually thought this would make a good profit-making service oh. called Eulogies Are Us, called 1-800-EULOGY, <laughs> that very often families are in need of someone who's eloquent, articulate, a good speaker, and somebody, I'm not, I'm going around a circle right now, but you go and you meet with the loved ones, talk about the person who passed away, and then you would go to the funeral and talk about that person, how great that person was. I've said, I think a great business model would be coaching at best men at wedding speeches, like best men they're, sometimes their speeches are a mess, you know, and like father of the bride speeches and things yes, like that. Yes, I've said this before. I yeah. think it's a good speech model of like training people how to write those speeches. It is. And I just thought of what it was now. Wait, we should say that at the collegiate event, is it an is it a, a legitimate league event, ADS, yeah. after dinner speaking? Yeah. Right. Also known as speech to entertain. And I thought this is a good idea for an ADS, an after dinner speech about, hey, people, 
We're all good at speaking, aren't we? Let's form a business and farm ourselves out and go to funerals and we'll get paid for it. And I had all these arguments in favor of it. And then afterwards, you can like have food because they always go back to the house and have corned beef sandwiches on rye with the family. And if you're a guy, the women are like desperate and you can hit up on them and maybe you'll even get lucky. It's win, win, win. So I poked, I pitched this idea for years. And I sort of wonder no one ever bought it. <laughs> I sort of remember Stephanie Pease was in my office just looking at me like Stephanie this is a great idea I'll help you write you want to work on this together you write it come to me I'll massage it with you and I t- and she just said do you have any other ideas <laughs> <laughs> that's an idea of mine a pet idea that no one ever bought well where did that inspiration why. come from uh, <laughs> are you holding Shiva or something <laughs> you know that term I do wow oh that's one of my pet ideas I love this next question yeah Question number six. Has a speech ever caused you to change? Wow. You're talking to someone who doesn't believe in change or growth. Okay. But you that's more on a nuts and bolts level. Yeah, it is on a nuts and bolts level. Is, is, Has is, anything ever ch- caused you to change how you feel mm, mm, uh, mm, or mm, your activities? Mm, mm, mm. Wow. The way you behave? Yeah, not so much change. It maybe just it affected me profoundly. There you go. Uh, I like how I modified your question, but sure, that's the I wish, spirit of the question. A, well, that is the spirit is, of the question, yeah. but I wish a specific example were, were coming to mind. Um, I've been affected. I've been moved. I've been I've been moved by Robert by stuff you've done, and your your interps in particular, your oral interps. Um, I I don't think. I don't think the content of a speech has actually gotten me to change, but perhaps, mm, I love that question. Man, I'm not being articulate at all, am I? I I think you are. You're just struggling to find an answer. I know. (laughs) Isn't your little girl? Yeah. 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 Let's just listen to her for a moment. Yeah, right. So no? Nothing's coming to mind right now, but I'm reluctant to say no. Well, if you... If, if I come, come up, up with, with something, one, you will let you me let me? I will let you know. All right. Okay. Question number seven. This is going to be good. I love this question. I, I can see, look because at this smile. Because this is really a competitor question, and you coached. I, I never competed. But I'm interested in this answer I, anyway, I and I know part of this answer. Really? Question number seven. What did you do with your awards? <laughs> I, not that question is not applicable. No, well, it is applicable. A, I, uh, I have some of yours in my home. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> Why don't you talk about that? You talk about. Well, it's your idea. You, I was an accomplice. Are we talking about when we broke into the trophy case? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What was going on? We were pissed off, weren't we? Yes. We were pissed off at the college because the program ended. You never got the recognition when we went so we did so well at nationals at that one tournament. Uh, we were on the what page in the school paper? Like seventeen. Mm-hmm. It was buried in the back, and we never got. And the, in the front cover of the paper, was a sports thing. Yeah, what it was, was it? like the local girl, the the Glendale girls track team uh, lost at a local track tournament. Right. And it was like, dude, we just won nationals in yeah. speech and debate, and you're not going to put that on the front cover of the paper? Pissed you, us you're off. Bury it. The program was dying. Actually, it was already dead at this point. And one night, late at night, we went to Glendale College and um, broke into the trophy case and stole the trophies that were rightfully ours. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's it. And you let me take a few home. You kept some and I kept some and it really felt good like we were taking back what belonged to us. But you know, that was great. That was great. I do want to say something. At the high school level, at the high school level, there were um, a few invitational events where the coaches had to compete. Oh, really? And I love that. I love that. And I competed. I did a duo, Humorous and Terp, with uh, Shannon. I just saw her two years ago at a reunion. We were reminiscing about our interp. And we broke into finals. And with my original oratory on the Electoral College. That's great. I got a trophy. And I still have it. And that trophy is proudly displayed in my office. It was in my office at the college when I had that. And also right at home. I have that in my back room at home. That was a very special uh, trophy when I won in original oratory. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Question number eight. What speech skill do you use most often in your day-to-day life? Well, 
of the events? Are we applying it to the... No, to what speech skill do you use most often? I want to say that I, I listen because I think that's what's lacking as far as communication, oh. the ability to listen. But I don't think I don't think that applies to me. You don't listen? I'm, I'm too busy talking. <laughs> I think I'm... Um, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah, I wish I could say I listen. No, I don't. I'm too busy formulating my own ideas of what I want to say next. <laughs> so I can't practice what I preach. I, I don't know if it's a speech skill, but I think I do come across with um, compassion and warmth. Mm-hmm. Can we count that as a speech skill? Yeah. Mm. Well, I would say, I mean, as a coach. Compa- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Compassion and warmth and humor. Those are not the conventional speech skills I think you're looking for, but I think it's it, part of everyday discourse. I don't know that I'm looking for mm-hmm. conventional ideas. Uh-huh. I, I'm really interested in yeah. what do you think? Right. And right. that's interesting. Compassion, that's not what I would have picked. Warmth and what would you have said for me? What I would have said for you? Oh, I don't know. Oh. I don't know what I would say for you. Oh, I thought you had something in mind. For me? For I, you. What would it be for I you? would say probably um, organization. Yes. You know, the formulating ideas in a set way, you know, tag claim evidence weren't impact, that kind of thing of, of, I remember being first starting out with, um, with speech and debate and not wanting to preview. I remember fighting that so hard. I'm not previewing. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And then by the end I was like, no, you you got to preview. You do. Even when you're not performing, but when you're just talking to people. Yeah, and just kind of like, well, here's the summary That's of things great. we need to do. That's great, a blueprint of what you're about to say. Yeah. But you don't take two or three steps as you go into the body, do you? I, I try not to. It's a, a little too speedy. <laughs> Number nine, why didn't you quit? Although I guess you did why quit. Why did? Wait. Yeah. But why didn't you quit while you were Where? going? Well, are we while talking? happening? Wait, I'm, I'm sorry, at the high school or the college? What are we talking about? Why, why didn't I quit? Well, I did. I just felt, at the high school, I was feeling burnt out after 22 years, and most of them were with coaching. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like it was time, and I did come into uh, significant money, and I, I thought I should stop teaching for a while. And then at the high school, well, it's a very pragmatic response, but because of the California State Teachers Retirement System, and the number of years, I was in the classroom for like 36, 37 years, and that's a lot. And because of that, I would get 92% of my salary every month for the rest of my life. Knowing that to be true, it's almost illogical to keep on teaching. But man, I had trouble letting go of the forensics team. That's crazy. 92% of your salary. Yeah. Yeah. They take your highest. At that time, they took, at one time, they were taking your three highest years, averaging them together, and you get a certain percentage depending on how many years you've taught. When I did it, that was just your highest earning year, not averaging the other two years together. But I, um, what a pragmatic answer. I just felt like it was time. Hmm. That's a better, I don't like my That's why you answer. did quit. That, oh, I'm sorry. The question is, why didn't I? Yeah. But I did. I, this is inside out. I didn't want to, I, because I fucking loved it for decades. <laughs> That's why I didn't quit. Yeah. Even though I did. That's interesting. Am I answering your... Yeah, yeah I am you are. In a roundabout way. I love it. All right, question number 10. Hmm. This is my favorite question of all. It is, huh? What was the best advice you received about a speech? Advice I received about the content of a speech or from... A, it's entirely up to you. It's mm. your interpretation. That sniff says you're thinking. Oh, yeah. Is that what that says? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's probably obnoxious sounding. You know, there's something, I, I guess it's watching the student. I, this is indirectly responding to your question, the tenacity. And I will, we're going to go back to Nisha for one second. Okay. And she's very Nisha special. Star. Yes, Nisha Starr, you named her. And she, again, was so special, our whole team, and just galvanizing everyone. She was like the glue, if not you, she was the glue of the squad that year. And there was one day that we were prepping for nationals and I was there in the afternoon and I saw her alone in classroom 8205 saying her speech over and over into an empty classroom. And she had a tape recorder because I said the speech for, and she was mimicking my speech pattern and trying to get it down. 
And then I went into another room with more squad members, coaching, coaching, coaching. You were there. A lot of our other people were there. Hours later, I happened to believe that I was going by 8205. She's still there. She was still. This is five and a half hours later, Robert. Five and a half hours later, she was in the same room by herself with a little tape recorder saying that speech over and over and over again. And it's tenacity. It's the competitive edge. It's the tenacity, the stick to and um, and it paid off. So be tenacious? Yeah. Yeah, with her especially. She, yeah. she was someone who worked it. Now, I, I will tell you, I, I worked hard that last year that we were... Uh, my schedule that last year was just like that. Like, I, I remember talking to her because we both were talking about how many hours we spent in AD 205 and we were kind of comparing notes and she basically had it up until I I think like eight or nine at night. And then I would come in and I would have that room until like one or two in the morning. And then the janitor came in and would like clean it out. And he got to the point where he was just like, uh, he, I was on the first name basis with the janitor. Yeah. And we, she and I were both always just, in that room, running stuff. I will always remember that. And the door had a window in it, the glass, you know, so you could, yeah. and I didn't want her to see me. I, I think the old Ira would have gone in and given her a hug. Hey, how's it coming? She didn't need me to do that. I just stood there for a moment. I watched her. I walked away from the window. I didn't want her to see me. And I just stood there for a few minutes listening to her. And then I just walked to my car and went home. Just admiring her yeah. being tenacious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we touch people. That's that's, that's a nice little. That's, that's we, a nice note to end on. That's how Ira. We, isn't that what it's about? Yeah, touching people. That's great. Yeah, Ira, thanks so much for coming. I enjoyed in, this. It's been great talking to you about this stuff. I like the name figures of uh, figure of speech. Yeah, I was going to talk about you know nouns and verbs and adjectives. Are those, <laughs> metaphors? Those, yeah, metaphors. Similes. I thought well, those are different. this is this is great. No, this is a different kind of figure of speech. Yes, it is. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for coming on. And great. if anyone wants to find you, where can they find you? Where on, can they find me on Instagram? What's I'm your Instagram? On, I'm on what is my uh, Ira Heffler. Yeah, uh, I'm on I'm on Facebook, and um, I'm I'm easy to get a hold of. In yeah. fact, don't make fun of me by my email address. Yes, I have an AOL account. There you go. <laughs> Ira Heffler at Old AOL.com. School. All Old the students school. would tease me. He used to have an AOL account? Yeah, yeah. And that was years ago they used to teach yes, you about Yes, imagine what they say now. <laughs> well, as for us, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us at Forensic Podcast. That's on Twitter and Instagram. So until the next round, keep talking. And as Ira Heffler puts it, be tenacious. Love it. I'm not an actress Oh, you're acting now Cause if you're not Somebody must have shown you how You got the same Funky old world charm I don't know where you come from But you're perfect for the part I don't know